0: This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 215 of the MMA Ratings podcast. Uh, Shawan, how you doing there, sir?
1: Uh, no complaints. Busy as always, moving kids and uh, training kids, so always something to do. How
0: many kids are you training now? Uh,
1: it's like these groups. Like, uh, the, the, this is the weird thing. In this area I'm in, the kids who are trying to make teams, don't seem particularly concerned with getting better. It's very strange. So the most money I make is these kids who are like, these classes I run, like I did a class last Sunday, I made like $145 for an hour. And this other class I do, I make around between $50 or $60 an hour. And most of these people, if they're average basketball players, it'll be a huge accomplishment because they, they haven't played it before. They have no real natural tendency or athleticism for it. And I, I train them, I train their parents, because they want to learn how to play basketball for some reason, so they can play it, family get-togethers, and play pickup. And that's where I make the majority of my money off of these classes. The actual kids who you would think will be training to get better, to play in college, not so much. So right now, between the classes, I got 12, 5, 9, another 13, probably like about well, kids all together I train, so... You know, if I lived in a different area, I'd probably be busy all the time. But living where I'm at, it's it's much different kind of temperament as far as how competitive the kids are, how competitive they want to be. So have you ever had to tell a kid or a parent that they suck? Yeah, I had. I'm pretty honest with kids because like the way I teach basketball, actually, I tell kids all the time, I'm not going to teach you how to score and all stuff. You'll learn that. But we're going to learn how to play basketball because most of y'all aren't super tall. You're not super athletic. You're not going to get 10 shots a game. You need to learn how to rebound, how to dribble efficiently, how to pass the ball intelligently, how to catch it, and how to box out and how to move without the ball. Like I teach all the supplementary and complementary skills because that's what they need to learn to be able to compete. I tell people, I tell one person, look, your son is only going to make it if he gets about seven to nine rebounds a game and he can pass very well your daughter is only going to make it if she plays crazy defense and can run the floor. Like if she's trying to score 10 points a game, she's not going to make the team. She's not a good enough shooter. She's not a good enough skill player for that. She's going to have to do it the hard way and then work her way into the skill stuff.
0: Have you ever had a parent that reacted badly? You telling them that their
1: kids sucked? I've never had a parent do that because these parents are pretty reasonable. The parents... The parents with the kids who are actually pretty decent, they push back against what I'm doing because like, they have a certain vision of their kid. And more times than not, it ends up working in my favor. Like, I'll tell a kid, hey, you need to pass. Get it off the ball. The parents like, we don't want to learn that. That's not what we're here to do. And I'm just like, just let me operate. And then the kid will take a while to transition. But then once the kid transitions, it's like easy work. Like, one kid I had, his dad was like, you need to get people out here to guard him. And I'm like, I don't need people out to guard him. I trained my three kids. We never had somebody playing defense except for me. And at first, his kid struggled. Then during the summer, his kid would play basketball tournaments. He played like 25 games worth of tournaments. And in 25 games worth of tournaments, he only averaged one turnover game. And that's pretty hard to do playing high-level basketball. So for 25 year he had a poor game, you know game. That's, that's actually amazing considering he handles the ball 87% of the time for his team. That's really good. And he'd have like one turnover to like seven assists. And it's all because of how we train and what we focus on. But it takes a while for you to pick that up and make adjustments. Same thing with a fighter; it takes time to adjust. And some parents are very patient, and other parents aren't. But I teach kids how to play basketball. I'm not teaching you how to just drop 20. If you get 20 points, no rebounds, no steals, no assists, no box outs, I'm disgusted. I don't even want to talk to you. I want a full all-round game across the board. That's how I teach people. I want, I want every category. I want, every, I want that Russell Westbrook. You impact the game on every single thing. Draymond Green. That's what I want. I don't. 20 points is great, but a lot of kids get 20. Give me ten assists. Give me ten steals. Give me fifteen rebounds. Give me something else. I need something else. Scoring just never been enough for me.
0: Good stuff there, sir. So it's interesting because we're talking about basketball because there isn't a lot to talk about this week. You, it was interesting. Is there's a lot of action going on, but there's still not a lot of newsworthy stuff. So we'll be talking about Kayla Harrison, USC um, on ESPN, twenty nine. Bellator a little bit some boxing
1: yeah of course we always got to touch on the boxing got yes to
0: we'll be hitting all of that tonight but as usual I want to say thank you to everyone who's taking the time to listen to our show please be sure to like share and subscribe as always you can find us at mmaratings.net and dot com as our flagship mma ratings net on Instagram and Twitter me you can hit me up at r garcia underscore sports and Shawan, you can find him at uh, Black Jordan Breen. You can also find his podcast at YouTube at MMA Ratings and Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. So, Schwan, we're going to go ahead and jump into UFC on ESPN 29 first. Yes, sir. There isn't a lot there, but Jerry Kenner, Kelvin Gastelum, fighting in the main event, 185 pounds. What are these guys fighting for?
1: Uh, Basically, just to stay relevant. I mean, Kelvin, he's been exposed as pretty much a runner-up in the division. I mean, he moved up from welterweight because he couldn't make weight anymore. And now he's just known as a guy who's who's in the biggest spots, has been able to give guys tough fights, but has never been able to get over the edge. Against Whitaker, it was a very action-packed fight, kind of one-sided. Against Adesanya, it was an action fight, but still kind of one-sided. He's never been able to get over the hump. He's always been a guy who's beaten up on third- and fourth-tier type fighters. And when he's faced the second- or first-tier guys, he's always come up short, largely because he lacks a, defined, a really defined skill set. And um, he's just gotten by on being tough, fighting at a high pace, and, and being athletic. That, that's really the nature of his skill set. He's got a little bit more of a refined skill set because he can wrestle a little bit and his striking has some kind of base of foundation. But he's him and Jared Cannoneer are like, they're very similar. Cannoneer's skill set is very raw. It's very limited. He can't grapple, really. He's not really much of a wrestler. He's not even really much of a striker. He's basically a big, strong, powerful guy who can explode out of bad positions, hit land one or two shots and knock you out. And he's tough enough to stay in a fight long enough to land a fight-changing a fight changing bomb. He's essentially like Derek Lewis, if Derek Lewis was a middleweight. But the thing about Derek Lewis is, at heavyweight, his act will take you to multiple title shots and keep you in the upper echelon of the weight class. At middleweight, having a Derek Lewis dependency on toughness and durability pretty much has a hard cap on it, which is why both Kelvin Gastelum and Jared Kananier have never really been able to put five, six, seven, eight wins together because once they face the better guys who got a depth of skill, they get exposed for being fairly one dimensional and not really dominant in that one dimension either.
0: Something real quick based off of what you just said because I'm curious now.
1: If you if you watch that Cyril Ghani fight and you watch the Whitaker versus um Cannoneer or Whitaker versus Gastelum, it's kind of similar the dominance in which he controlled that fight. The only difference being Kelvin and um, Cannoneer are more dynamic athletes and have better cardio, so they can kind of push the pace and find spots. But as far as the actual skill set and shutting someone down and outclassing someone, those fights look real similar to what Gagne did to um, Lewis.
0: So I'm interested in what's next for the middleweight, not middleweight, excuse me, yeah, middleweight division because Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya has been pushed back to early 2022. And looking at the top 10, um, Adesanya's done a great job of cleaning that division out. He's beaten Whitaker, fighting him again, beating Costa. Um, Jared Cannonier. he has not fought, but he recently fought to Whitaker, lost to Whitaker. He's beaten Marvin Vittori twice and Derek Brunson. Jack Manson's there, Darren Till's there, Sean Strickland's there. Who's going to come out of this group as a next clear contender for Adesanya if Whitaker does not pick up the win?
1: I really don't know. There's not there's not a lot separating these guys. I mean, Uriah Hall had the athleticism. He's got the offensive skills. Actually, Uriah Hall actually has a total package. Mentally, he can't ever put together complete fights. It's always some defensive gap. It's always some hesitancy offensively. It's always leaning on his out. It's like he has every single tool to dominate, and he never does. So based on just talent and ability, it should be um, it should be Uriah Hall. Darren Till has a chance, because for some reason, people love him, and people believe in him, no matter how many terrible performances he puts in. The UFC is determined to put him in a position to win, and I have no idea why. He's not a good enough fighter to do so. But everybody else, to me, is, it's like a lot of guys who maybe have some skill, people have some talent, but I don't know any of them who puts it all together well enough to separate themselves. That's why Adesanya has basically already lapped the field. He's getting ready to do a victory lap. Because even with the holes in his game, for the most part, most guys can't put together a good enough fight where they can execute well enough to beat him. So him and Whitaker are basically, they're probably about two or three levels above the guys following them. And those guys are tough enough and they're gritty enough where they can make fights tough and they can hang around. But none of those guys have the skill set to create openings, to find openings, to be defensively sound enough to stay in without taking huge tremendous beats. so late in the fight they can turn it on and win a fight. That's essentially the difference. Whitaker and Adesanya have depth in their defensive and counter skills, and everybody else is pretty much an offensive fighter who leans on volume, power, and physicality. And that's great when you're a much, much better athlete than who you're facing. But once you start facing better athletic athletes, those skills come in handy. And they're two to three tiers below the skill sets against Adesanya and Whitaker. Um, so I don't know who comes out. Strickland's kind of got some heat behind him. He's talking a good game, but he's never really beaten an elite guy. Gastelum's had his chance multiple times and hasn't won. Hermanson, he just he's had the same problem. He can't ever win the big fights. Vittori's already had two shots of the title. He's way at the back of the line. I don't think anybody separated themselves. Somebody's gonna have to win and win dynamically. Now, Darren Till can win a crappy win; and he'll still get an opportunity. For some reason, they love that guy. But everybody else, they're like two or three fights away from a title shot, and I mean, two or two or three fights at best. I I, I don't know who to pick because I don't think any of them really have stood out as of yet. So, do you think Asanya will make another run at two hundred five if if he
0: defeats Whitaker in January, or will he just stay around for? Couple more, maybe two more years before he tries it again.
1: Uh, I think he might take another fight. I think he'll take he'll he'll maybe beat Whitaker and maybe take one more fight. I think he's in the process of trying to address some of the holes that were exposed against. Um, John yeah, yeah, he, he John exposed some holes in his tendencies and his fight style, and I think he's in the process of adjusting them and trying to be a little bit more proactive and kind of flesh out his offensive skill set so he's not so easily controlled or easily countered. But um, I don't think he'd rush right back into that because right now he'd be facing the same guy. And the, right now, as, as far as I can see, the matchup is the same matchup it was last time. And even though it was close, that size, that jab, and the fact that John, Jan could handle the power a little bit better was what tipped the fight. Usually Adesanya scares you off with big shots, and now you get really hesitant, and he's in complete control. But against Jan, Jan still kept building up the pressure and building momentum. And Israel couldn't control the pace of the fight or where the fight took place. So I think he's in the middle of trying to make adjustments so he can counter that and make his speed and his um, all-around offensive skill set the determining tools in the fight. Um, If Whitaker wins, Whitaker's going to stay. I don't think he has any plans of moving up to light heavyweight until he puts like maybe three defenses behind himself. But Adesanya, I think he probably needs another fight fight or two of middleweight to really test everything out, to work it out, try it live, and then take another shot at the light heavyweight um, championship. Because if he loses, okay, he'll still have the middleweight belt, but he'll have nowhere else to go to. So his next venture into the light heavyweight has to be a successful one.
0: Very true there, sir. I agree with you on that. Looking at the rest of UFC uh, on ESPN 29, what else is there on this card that stands out to you, sir? Um,
1: to be honest, I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm a Clay Guida fan just because Clay's always been a he's a long-standing mixed martial artist. He's, I think, he's been through what two different, probably three different phases of mixed martial arts as far as like the direction of how the art the sport's been going. And I'm very impressed with the fact that even though he's not an elite guy, he still managed to find a way to compete against younger guys, you know, probably guys who've had better training at this same point of their careers, and guys who are his athletic superior. I guess Clay Guida's is one of the few, the legitimate versions of an MMA journeyman who's still around, still getting big opportunities, and still getting a chance to um, compete at a fairly high level. So I'm very interested to see what he has left and how, if he's made any, whether it's subtle or obvious adjustments to his fight style, that are gonna maybe maybe allow him to extend his career maybe another two three years. I, I don't think he could go in the best best case scenario physically. I can't imagine that he could go another two or three years. But if he's made the right adjustments and he fights at the right pace as far as how, how many fights he fights a year, he could he could very well make another two or three years as a as a UFC fighter. He hasn't looked terrible. He's he's always been limited, but he's he's become a little bit more defensively savvy and a little bit more efficient in what he's doing. And it's allowed him to at least be competitive and be a viable um, a viable threat in a division that's still very competitive. Still has a lot of high-level talent going through it. So I'm
0: going to ask you a question. I know the answer to it. But I still feel like knowing the UFC, this is something that's going to come up. It's going to be ridiculous when it happens. Does Clay Guida have a Hall of Fame-worthy career?
1: I mean, if you go by the instance of titles, probably not. He's never won a title. He's done some tremendous win streaks. He's, he's been in some of the biggest fights, like his far fight of the nights. So, I mean, I guess if Donald Cerrone was somehow find a Hall of Fame thing, I guess you could make an argument that Clay Guida does. If nothing else, just for the length of his career. I don't know that he has a UFC Hall of Fame kind of record, but I know as an overall MMA fighter, he probably has an MMA fight type hall of fame record because he's fought so many names he's been in so many uh entertaining fights he, he's kind of like maybe like an arturo gaddy you could get him in because he's exciting he's a fan favorite he fights at high paces and he, he's faced a high level of opposition but if you're just going off his skills and his wins like championship wins and championship dominance or elite level dominance i don't know how you put him in there
0: See, and this is interesting because he has a 64% win rate. He's 36 and 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's a, those are a lot of losses. Uh, I don't think he would make the cut, but I could still see the UFC finding a way
1: to squeeze him in. I mean, like like I said, Arturo Gatti got into the, the Boxing Hall of Fame, and Arturo Gatti was a champion. He was never, like, the best champion in his division. He was never the best talent either. He didn't have a long amateur career, like, where he was – considered elite he made four exciting fights he was a tough exciting fighter who won a couple titles and that was enough to get him into the uh hall of fame you know what now that i think about it mickey ward would be more like a clay guida and clay guida I- might make hall of fame because he had a hall of fame type fight or something like that but based off his actual wins and his championships no he wouldn't be but like you said the ufc Puts in people they like and they keep people out who deserve to be in. Frank Shamrock, Maury Smith, for another. I think Maury Smith might be in, but not Frank Shamrock. Yeah, so, Frank Shamrock's never good. He, he never yeah. even gets. If they want to force him in, they can. But if we I go know, on. We fight score.
0: With Diego Sanchez is in the um, Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, so technically speaking, he's in the Hall of Fame, but as far as his actual UFC career, no. And even his MMA career, the length of it, yes. The excitement of it, yes. But the actual quality of it, he's just not a Hall of Fame-type fighter.
0: Good stuff there, sir. I want to move on and talk about Professional Fighters League, PFL 8, the 2021 playoffs. That is set for Friday. Friday, Yeah, the 19th. And the only thing off this card I want to talk about is one Kayla Harrison. She's 10-0, continues to dominate any woman put in front of her, fighting Janae Fabian, who's – four and one. Did you see their face off today? I did not. Janae is a big woman. I did not know, like she is, she has a good height advantage over Kayla Harrison, but I don't think that that is going to change the narrative of the fight. And she's five foot 11. Damn near six feet. And, well, um, Fighting out of city kickboxing, but I think she's going to be overwhelmed, just as everyone else did in Kayla Harrison. Let's talk about the fight first, but there's another another question I want to ask you in regards to this, too. So from a fight standpoint, what do you see it going down here?
1: I don't know much about Janae. Um, I really don't, so I'd have to research her. I know her camp is usually pretty good at overall strategies and playing to the strengths of their fighters. They're usually very good about that. If the fighter can execute the strategy, that's the fighter's skill set mentality, his physical tools. Daniel Hooker, they'll set up a game plan. Depending on how tough his opponent is, he can either stick to it or he just resorts to go into war. Same thing with other fighters. Israel Adesanya obviously has the athleticism and the tenure in combat sports to execute their fight plans fairly flawlessly. Um, so they should have a good game plan. The problem, The problem is... I don't know what Kayla Harrison's about. Everybody keeps telling me she's such a great fighter. I don't know that she's a great fighter. She hasn't been in any fights. Her fights have been one-way traffic. Basically, it's aggravated assault. That's what it is when she gets in a fight. It's aggravated assault. You would arrest somebody if they were in Kayla Harrison's position. Like She just dominated these girls because these girls, they're not the greatest athletes. She's she's 10 times the athlete than they are, similar to what Ronda Rousey was. She's bigger, stronger, hits harder. And a lot of these girls are underskilled. I've said this before, I've talked to coaches about this. A lot of women in mixed martial arts, I feel like they're being done a disservice. I don't think their corners or their camps are giving them the attention to detail and really developing them before putting them into these events. I'm not talking about a number of fights. You could develop someone slowly and slowly install skills and then have them fight three, four, five, six fights and have them be a high level quality fighter if they've been developed appropriately. But what they do is they give them a general skill set and they get beat up on soccer moms and accountants. And because they have some decent athleticism, they're able to overwhelm these girls. Once they face a better athlete, they can't do anything. I feel there's a lot of things you could exploit with Kayla Kayla Harrison. But you have to have a skill set to take advantage of any physical tools you have. That girl's taller and longer. If she has good footwork, I guarantee you, it's going to take Kayla Harrison a second to get her hands on her. But that would require you to be able to move laterally, enter and exit on angles and circle out like second nature, not hesitation. Because when you're facing an athlete at Harrison's level, you can't hesitate and then pivot. You have to, boom, pivot. You have to step over. You have to angle in, angle out, sharp, 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 sharp. She's three times faster than you. You've got to have everything sharp. And if you do, you're going to have moments of success against her, even if you're a lesser athlete. How do I know? Because Rhonda's a better athlete than Kayla. And you saw what happened with Bech Cohea. Bech Cohea laid the groundwork to beat Rhonda. Ronda came swinging those bombs, trying to get the clinch. Bechco was stepping off at angles and countering Ronda. She didn't hit her hard enough to hurt her, but she was landing clean. Ronda just Hulk smashed her way through all the shots. We've never seen anybody show anything of that kind of class and strategic awareness against Kayla Harrison. So I'm not buying Kayla Harrison until I see someone punch her square in her face and see what she does. I want to see her rush forward to try and get that clinch and someone just crack her and see what happens. Will she just eat it and go through? Possibly. But we've never seen her get hit. And she's like, well, I get hit in sparring by Manda News. I don't care about that. I know boxers who, in sparring, last 13 rounds with the biggest punchers in their division and then go get knocked out by someone who's a, a feather-fisted fighter in a real fight. I need to see it in real time. But there's holes you can explode with Harrison, but none of these fighters have been developed well enough or have enough experience to do it or have the stylistic ways to take advantage of it. So I'm not really impressed by Harrison's win streak and who she's beaten. She's beaten a bunch of girls who have no right to be in the ring with her based off of accomplishments and athleticism. And I just want to see someone actually force her to have to do something different. But that would require a certain kind of development, what 90% of these girls don't have. Somebody can fight off the back foot, they're going to give her problems. If they know how to fight off the back foot and set traps, they're going to light her up. And I just want to see it. Because until she gets punched in her face, I'm not buying anything she does. Anybody can run through somebody and throw them to the ground and take them down. What happens when you get cracked? What happens when you go for that takedown and they pivot out and you miss? Uh-oh. What if you get that clinch and they, they turn you in the cage, hit you with an uppercut and a check hook, and then step off? Now we have something you have to work through. These aren't fights. These are one, one-sided assaults, and I'm tired of seeing them. I want to see something competitive. So speaking of something
0: competitive then, sir, um, she's been open – in talking about um, leaving the PFL, she said that the PFL has to show her life-changing money is the quote that she mentioned that they want her to stay. She's an Olympian. They've
1: already changed her. Gave her life-changing money. Well, she doesn't. Like they, they get thirty k for a gold medal. What is she talking about? Life-changing money?
0: That's not life-changing. Thirty k is not life-changing money. That's what. Not- for some, for some, it, it, it
1: would be. She gets but, paid better than ninety percent of women doing. She gets paid better than ninety percent of men doing MMA. So as far as for them, this is already life changing money. Well, she's laid the groundwork. She said life changing money, or she's out. So, is this the last time we see her fighting in PFL? And where do you think she goes next? I was under the impression that she can't make a lower weight class. That was Well, that's what I was told. I was told she can't make a lower weight. So where is she going? She gonna do a catch up. She you she see 135 in, in Victor, right? No, there's no way. Or 145, excuse me. Yeah, I can see her 45, but I mean, if she goes against Amanda Nunes now, Amanda Nunes might kill her. Um I think Holly, I think Holly Holm would knock her out at 145. I have no doubt that Holly Holm would stop her at 145. So she's if been she, fighting at 155
0: for her career, except for the fight against Courtney King in Invicta in 2020.
1: Yeah, I, it, I don't at 45, she hasn't had any trouble. She punched. She hasn't been touched. She hasn't faced anybody with comparable athleticism. I don't think. I don't know that. I can't say that she beats Cyborg. I can't say that she beats Holly Holm. I can't say that she beats Amanda Nunes. I mean, Cat might give her some work. To be quite honest, we have no idea what she does against anybody who's in the same universe as physical tools. Every girl she's beat is like a third or fourth tier a- athlete. Kat Singano isn't even an elite fighter, and she'd be by far the best person she ever fought. Clarissa Shields isn't even a real MMA fighter in the instance of fighting multiple fights. And Clarissa Shields would probably be the best fighter she's ever faced. That's how thin her resume is. So she can go to Bellator. And I guess she maybe wants to fight Cyborg right out of the, right out of the gate. But that'd be a tough fight for her. If she don't get that clinch right away, she don't get that takedown right away, it's going to be a long night for her. It's going to so, be a long night for her.
0: Looking at the UFC, at their, at their roster, and looking at the women that they move back and forth between both weight classes, let's say she does sign with the UFC. I think Jermaine would, would would be a great first fight for her.
1: I was thinking the same thing because... I mean, once she gets her on ground, it's done. But Jermaine Durandamy is a counterfighter. She's got good footwork, and she's got a hair trigger. If Jermaine Durandamy can land shots on world class on strikers who are better athletes than her, she's going to land on Harrison. If Jermaine if, if Durandamy catches Harrison rushing in for a clinch or catches on the end of a puncher, she might knock her out with the first shot she throws. Jermaine Durandamy hits real hard. She hits real hard. But that'd be an interesting fight. I'd take Duranami, I'd take Holly Holm. Um, I mean, there's fighters who can move up to 45 just to fight her. One. I'd have Sarah McMahon move up to 45 and fight her. Olympic medalist, fight versus fight. At least we know she'd be facing someone a comparable size and athleticism who's got enough of a pedigree that she ain't just going to get her hands on her and throw her. I'd like to see her going against Sarah McMahon. Has Sarah move up to 145. She'd be at a weight disadvantage. But I figure the conditioning, the speed, and in in her experience in MMA, We'll level that out. I like to see her going against Sarah McMahon first fighting UFC 145.
0: Good stuff there, sir.
1: Um, let's talk about the last because it
0: wasn't anything else from PFL I wanted to really pull out. Let's talk about the last card that's going on this weekend, which is Bellator 265, where Czech Congo is fighting Sergei Karatanoff in the heavyweight division. Now, I feel like this is a this is the sweepstakes to lose the Fedor next.
1: Fight, mm-hmm. like the heavyweight title, or, or with the heavyweight contest. I, I would assume Karratha would win. He's he's more offensive. He hits harder. Even though Congo's an established striker, Congo got to the point where he doesn't really want to get in firefights. It's all clinches. He'll throw from a distance, tie you up, take you down, clinch you. It seems like he's trying to avoid striking exchanges unless he can. Unless, unless he's in complete control. Caratano has got better hands. He's a little bit longer. And he's a good enough grappler and wrestler. I don't think that Chek is going to be able to take him down and control him. So I would have to favor Karatanov. And um, basically, maybe they... I don't know if they're angling to fight Fader. Fight I mean, that's the biggest fight. Fighting for the Bellator heavyweight title. I don't know that that really does anything for anybody at this stage right now. Fighting Fader, even at this stage of his career... It's still a big event, still big money, still something you could put on your resume that would help you moving forward as an athlete in your country, or moving forward as an athlete if you open a gym or maybe you become a celebrity of some sort. But um it's the, one of the best fights they can make in Bell Tour, but it's not really a great fight because Chet Congo hasn't been a great heavyweight in years. And Karatanov, I mean he I guess he could in general, he could probably still fight at the UFC level. He'd probably be a top ten heavyweight, if not higher, in the UFC level. I, I think Karatanov skill wise could uh, ask more questions of Cyril Gagne than a lot of guys in the UFC right now. At least he has a, a skill set that would allow him some depth in what he does and make Gagne have to really work past a certain point. But um, I don't know. It's it's not a it's not a sexy matchup, and it's it's a good fight though. But it's not really the fight that's gonna bring in the masses or bring in attention. If I'm Fader, I fight Congo. I don't know if I'd want to fight Keratano. That seems a little risky to me. Hmm. One thing side note before I go about Bellator. Bellator is a good company. They run very well. But I have to highlight this again. I love the fact that A.J. McKee won. He's a good guy. He's a good fighter. He's a young talent. He has a history of MMA. He's built his way up. He's earned his spot. But I don't know if anybody's noticed how hard Bellator has pushed everybody except the guys who helped them start the sport. The Pitbull brothers were there at the very beginning, and they're still here. And Bellator always treats them like redheaded stiff children. When, when McKee won, what's the argument? Is he one of the best pound for pound? He could be one of the best at 45 and 55. Pitbull had the belts at 45 and 55, and I don't ever remember Bellator talking about him being one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. Or if they did talk about it, they only talked about it in passing. They didn't have whole special build up his other fights like that. They built it up with McKee, and I get it. It was a big process, it was a big tournament. But when you're a double champion, that there's not that many in mixed martial arts. How how is he not getting pushed as a double champion, having beaten Michael Chandler and pretty much anybody else who's been through the Bellator Bellator system? He I don't feel the Bellator has ever given them their due. It's been Michael Chandler, it's been Benson Henderson, it's been whoever's come through, whoever whatever big ticket item they've purchased, but they have never really bought into and supported the two guys who have been there from the beginning when they were on some secondary cable channel all the way to the point they are now. And I understand that McKee's the winner. You focus on the winner and everything he's done. But his win doesn't mean anything if he didn't beat someone who is highly acclaimed and highly accomplished. But it's like they're the fans. And it seems like Bellator themselves, to me, are crapping on the guy who (laughs) legitimized A.J. McKee. A.J. McKee beat somebody else for the 45 title. He wouldn't get all this credit. He's getting this credit because Pitbull has essentially dominated two weight classes. That's why what AJ McKee did was so outstanding. He beat a double champion for a title. But it seems like that credit's gone to McKee, but none of that credit stuck with Pitbull. I don't remember the the announcers really singing his praises a whole lot. I don't really remember anybody really talking about how how exceptional Pitbull has been as a fighter over like a 10-year period. I don't remember any of those conversations. And it seems very odd to me that you would take a guy who was one of the OGs of your organization, who helped bring your organization to the heights it's at now, and you treat him like a secondary character in a title fight. We're not talking about Amanda Nunes compared to, to, to Ronda Rousey. I understand why Amanda Nunes is the second fiddle. Ronda Rousey is a star. Ronda Rousey is a more accomplished, more successful fighter. I get that. I have no idea why Pitbull is treated like a secondary character when he's essentially been one of the top, one of the 10 best fighters in the world for at least the past two to three years.
0: <clears throat> um, huh. I hadn't heard anyone else make that argument um, because I felt like all the other media outlets that were covering the fight were giving Pit- Pitbull his due. Um, but I haven't heard that argument from a Bellator standpoint if they were giving him his respect or not. I feel like he never even really did when he fought Michael Chandler either after he knocked um, Chandler out and basically sent him on his way to the UFC. So I can see that argument that they didn't give him the proper amount of respect as a champion while they had him. Um, is Is it because they didn't really ever see him as a draw, maybe? Do you think that's it? Do you think that they never really saw the numbers bump that they thought someone of his ranking should bring in?
1: It could be. I, I could see that to a degree. But we've had fighters like that. I mean, Jose Aldo wasn't a tremendous draw. But people acknowledge his, his greatness before he fought Conor McGregor. That's what made Conor great. Conor beat an all-time great in one punch. Like, that's amazing. That, that, that helped set Conor off, and people, people constantly bring that up. And even though Aldo got knocked out in one shot, people like, I want a rematch. I want a rematch. I didn't really hear a lot of people demanding a rematch for Pitbull, and his fight ended—at least lasted longer than the McGregor, um, McGregor-Aldo McGregor fight. Nobody's saying rematch. Nobody's saying rematch. We demand a rematch. He could do better. People just feel like he was completely outclassed. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But he wasn't outclassed any worse than Aldo was against McGregor. Not really. Let me ask you this. If, if Pitbull
0: and McKee ended up getting rematched right, like it was an immediate rematch. How do you see that fight going?
1: I think it'd be more competitive, I think, in my opinion. And I don't know I don't know that Pitbull did not. I think Pitbull was sitting back waiting for those counters, counter hooks, counter punches. Everybody expects that. Everybody expects you to throw those counter hooks and counter punches because essentially you've stopped kicking. It's almost like Jose Aldo in reverse. Jose Aldo has gotten so used to the jab and the counter punches. He used to be known as a great leg kicker and counter kicker, and he got away from that. So that every time he starts kicking again, it catches guys completely off guard because you don't really expect Jose Aldo to kick anymore. He's like 85 70% boxing now. So when he throws those kicks and he and he ramps up the volume, it changes the temperament of a fight because now you have this range that he was conceding before to counter and jab, counter to counter or lead or jab. Now he's attacking that range. You saw when he kicked Pedro, it was like, whoa, whoa, what's this? He put two or three together. Threw him off. Same thing with Peter Jan. Jan was ready for the boxing. He's ready for the slips and the counters. He was not ready for the body kicks and the leg kicks. And as soon as he started tasting them, it allowed Jose to get back in the fight and and regain some kind of control and and dictate the pace and the place of it. When he fought McKee, to me, Pitbull completely conceded, conceded the kicking reign. You already have a guy who's young and mobile, who's explosive and long. And basically, you can only strike him when he gets here. He can strike you when he's all the way here. Mm -hmm. Some inside leg kicks, some outside leg kicks, some kicks to the body. Now, all of a sudden, you force him. He can't set up. He can't find his rhythm. He can't start faking you and lulling you in his sleep to land anything because he's got something coming right back at him. He faints with the hands, kick him in the leg. You faint with the hands, he steps back, kick him in the leg. You have something where you can control the range. He can't just pick and choose when he's going to fire off whatever he's going to fire off. You're constantly making him think about something, about eating something or, or having to block something or counter something. But in that fight, until he gets to this spot, Pitbull's not a danger because he's not kicking a lot. Once he gets to this spot, Pitbull's a danger, but they've been preparing for that from day one. But even at a long distance, Pitbull can still kick with him, maybe not quite as far, but if he steps in for a kick, he can block it, kick. He sets it for punches, pivot out, kick. You you don't concede that range, so there's no safety zone. If he had a safety zone from here to here, he was only in danger from here to here. He was out here almost the entirety of the fight until he kicked him in the head, and then he was here attempting the submission. But before that, he was in a complete safety zone. Pitbull couldn't lead, walk into a counter. He was waiting for him to throw something so he could step in and counter. But there's this whole gap of space where McKee could jab, feint, and he could, he could throw feints because he has the reach to get to him. Pitbull has a response to the feint because he can still reach him. He doesn't have to respond to Pitbull's feints from here. I don't have to respond to him here. He can't reach me. He can't reach me at all. So I can fe- I he can faint. I'm just looking. He can pretend he's gonna throw. I'm just looking. He wants me to come in. I don't have to come in. I can just front kick him, jab him, long right hand him. He can't do nothing about it. But if he kicks me a couple times, now I gotta make a decision. Do I wanna stay all the way out? Or do I need to get in to put some heat on him because he's chopping up my leg? So if he does a if he doesn't concede ranges, I think he's a little bit more aggressive, maybe leading to draw out the opportunity for counters. I think the fight Will be much more competitive. I, I thought he would walk him down. But if it's going to be where McKee has free range and long distance, he's a better athlete and he's super dynamic. You need time to figure those guys out. You need to put some pressure on those guys to so can figure them out. Who would be the favorite team? Oh, they're going to go McKee because McKee won in, in such outstanding fashion. Even though, and I'm a, I, I know Pitbull's managers, I know Pitbull, I know him to a degree. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He was out with that submission. I'm not saying he wasn't out. I just don't know that he was out. It looked like he was trying to defend it to me. So they're gonna go with Pitbull because McKee won in such dominant. <laughs> fashion. What? Just went left. I thought it did, but I thought like he was trying to push. I don't know. I am okay with it either way. He shouldn't have let it get to that position before it even be stopped. But it's McKee's gonna be the favorite because McKee won in such devastating fashion. I think Pitbull only landed a, a kick to the leg. I don't think he landed any punches. So how how can you not favor the guy who who won in a fairly one-sided fight? It's hard not to. Good
0: stuff, there, sir. Good stuff. Um, looking back at Bellator 265, who stands out on this card? Uh, I don't have
1: the card in front of me. Give me one second. I feel bad for Bellator because now they have a bigger platform and they just haven't done enough of cultivating their own talent. So it's like it's like they don't have a whole lot of stars ready to take full advantage of this opportunity. McKee is one of the few. McKee is one of the few who's actually in a position to take that next step forward because he's undefeated. He's put a win streak together. But a lot of their other guys, like Aaron Pico, he's had a lot of devastating losses, some of the shines taken off him. They don't have a... Who is the female boxer? I forgot her name. Oh, man. I can't think of her. I do think of her. Heather Hardy. They don't have someone like Heather Hardy. Um, you know, Alima a McFarland Having a Showtime behind her would be a perfect situation for her. On this card, I mean... Maybe maybe, Bo- more, maybe Adam Borix has kind of got a little bit of heat to him. They don't have a lot of guys who scream star power on this card. This is like a... A good fight card as far as pretty good matchups is not a great card as far as name value and the kind of guy who put butts in seats, like just off who they are. Conor McGregor gets butts in seats because he's Conor McGregor. These guys might put butts in seats because they're good fighters, but they don't just draw people in. I don't have to. Oh, wait. Adam Borgs is fighting? Oh, my God. Let me see that. Oh, wait a minute. J.J. Wilson. J.J. Wilson. Are you going to watch the J.J. Wilson fight? No. um, No. Yeah, exactly. They don't have anybody, and in, in Czech Congo ain't going to do it either. Um, I just wish Bellator would have been a little bit better in how they built their stars, because they had a really big event a couple weeks ago, and they don't have anything to follow it up as far as pushing somebody who's on the precipice over the home. That's, they don't have the depth. That's been the biggest problem. They have no depth, and as a result, they can't break new stars. And they're in this ridiculous cycle of rematches and stuff. What other division in the UFC where you have a fight that's that's one sided, unless it's two big stars? If it's two big stars or one big star, you'll do a rematch. But otherwise you just move ahead. Bellator has nothing better for McKee or 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 Pitbull except a rematch. And they're thinking about making it a one fifty five. Are you kidding me? Like you have such such little depth in division, you have to instantly have it another title fight? Like it's just terrible. And they're they putting on good cards, but they don't have anybody who's ready to take that next step. And as a result, it's hurting their product long-term. And
0: something that really, that it's interesting if you compare it to the UFC 262, UFC on ESPN 29 card, yes. it's like UFC is coming off of a pay-per-view, took a week off, and now they're ramping back up. Mm-hmm. Those was coming off of a big event and they, and they are going through, I don't want to say a decline, but a quality of card decline because they can't follow it back up or they can't build towards anything in the near future.
1: Exactly. I mean, if you look at Bellator, you look at UFC and you're like, well, how many times has somebody done like a bunch of rematches and all stuff? It's very rare. In Bellator, it's like a common thing. How many times did Daniel Strauss fight Pat Correa four times? Like, it's ridiculous how many rematches because they don't have any depth. Like, Michael Chandler was fighting guys two and three times. I'm like... For what? Like, guys he already beat, he's fighting him again. At a, like, for, he beat this guy dominantly the first time you're going to have him fight him again. Like, why? Because they don't have any depth. They can't. They had this, like you said, they had this huge event. Bellator, Bellator. Every time i Anthony McKee. If you have another star, you can push the next event, have him guest on it, call the fight, whatever, help bring in attention to help the next star take a step forward. Instead, because they don't have a next star ready, they don't have any depth. And they can't keep guys active enough, and these guys don't have big enough fan bases. It's just a card like this. Like, how do you follow such a big card with a card like this? Now, UFC can get away with it because they have a UFC brand name. Bellator doesn't have a brand name. People still don't. People still think MM, UFC when they think MMA. I still tell people, yeah, I know a couple. Of, I worked with a couple Bellator fighters. Who? Bellator what? Is that like an amateur promotion? No, it's not. It, it's just. I just wish they would have had a better situation. They're getting they're they've been put on a platform for one weekend they out UFC, the UFC, and they have not had any ability to build on that, and that is a damn shame. So, is there anything else on this car sending out to you or no? Not really. I mean, no offense to those fighters. I, that's I know that's insulting to them. They work very hard, but we're just talking about like, mass appeal, and change in the direction of a division. No, there's not.
0: Yes, sir. Okay, so let's talk boxing. We have Manny Pacquiao fighting ingenious, what's his last name? Ugas? Ugas, that's right. Ingenious Ugas on Saturday. And my main question here is thinking about Manny's legacy. With both a victory and a defeat, Where does he stand? He's had, uh, we were talking Hall of Fame, he's had a Hall of Fame career.
1: A A defeat doesn't change a whole lot. I mean, he lost to Joe Horn, Jeff Horn, excuse me, before. So a defeat doesn't change a whole lot because Manny is, what, 42, 43? Something of that nature. He's in his 40s, he's still fighting. So him losing to a maybe unheralded but highly ranked, skilled, young, awkward fighter is not going to be an indictment on his prime. It's not going to make people think that Manny was less of a fighter. If he, if he loses in a competitive fight, hell, even if he gets completely dominated, the fact that he's still competing against these kind of guys at his, at his age, having gone through so many weight classes, having been through so many wars, is a testament to how great he's been. It will not hurt his career at all. It'll help Ugas. Ugas wins. It's great for him. He beat the he beat the biggest name in the weight division. And now all the guys who weren't fighting him because he had no run, he had no burn, he had no Q rating, now all those guys are going to be calling for him. Spence will be calling for him. Terrence Cross will be calling for him. Sean Porter all of a sudden want to fight him again. All those guys didn't want to fight him because he had no heat with him Will want to fight him. But it won't affect Manny Pacquiao negatively. If Manny Pacquiao beats him, Well, now people are going to start using that to to slander Floyd. Now people are going to start saying Manny may be the best fighter of the generation. Once again, not because he's been more dominant. It's like the Jordan-LeBron comparison. Jordan, six title attempts, six title wins. LeBron gets thought of as better than Jordan. Why? Because he's got more title wins? No. Because he won more titles in a row? No. Because of his length of his career, the length of his peak, and the amount of numbers he's racked up. Manny Pacquiao can't compete with the dominance that, that Floyd Mayweather had because Floyd never lost as a professional. No world titles, nothing. He barely got rocked, much less got knocked out in fights. So you can't ever, um, you can't really compare them in that front. But much like LeBron James, Manny's fought from like eight different weight classes. He's a legitimate eight division world champion. He moved up from like 105 or 112 or something all the way to 147. That's unheard of. He's beaten... Some of the best fighters in their prime or close to their prime, Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, um, Miguel Cotto, Ricky Hatton, um, Keith Thurman, Juan Mel, Mar- Juan Mel Marquez. I mean, you go up, down the list of people. He's beaten guys who were world champions, former world champions, very close. Adrian Broner, Keith, Keith Thurman, now Ugas. He beats him That's another guy who's a world-level t- world type fighter. So the numbers and the amount of wins and the amount of the time he's dominated might supersede it. And when you're fighting a guy at this level at his age, a win just puts him that much further up on that echelon. And if he puts another win behind it, people might consider him better than Floyd. Because they'll be like, yeah, Floyd was great during this time, but look how far Manny's gone and look at the wins he's had. That win over Keith Thurman, people told me Keith was hurt. He was out of shape. He wasn't focused. I don't care about that. He took the fight. He took the money. Keith Thurman had already beaten Danny Garcia. He already beaten Sean Porter. He was the consensus best welterweight in the world for like a two, three-year period. Manny Pacquiao beat him. Manny Pacquiao beat him. Manny Pacquiao beats Ugas. That's another highly ranked welterweight, essentially back-to-back, that he's beaten at at this stage of his career. That's amazing. So a win just... Pushes him a little bit further ahead. It adds to the mystique of Manny Pacquiao and how great a fighter he is, and, and how and how much he loves the sport. A loss doesn't change anything. A loss just means most likely that he, he the father time caught out with him and he got out and he got beaten by a last second opponent. A loss, you know, it, it, to me a loss to Ugas doesn't hurt his standing. You know, if it's a competitive loss, there'll be a rematch. If it's one sided loss, people just be like he got old overnight. It won't change anything about him, but a win, a win changes, enhances the narrative and enhances that mystique behind him. All right. Million dollar question here. Yes. Pacquiao in his
0: prime. Who is one fighter from any era you put him
1: against for one fight? To be quite honest, I know it's the easy way out. I really wish I could have saw him against Floyd in their primes. Because even in his later stage, Manny had the seat, had the experience and enough athleticism. Even though Floyd won it quickly, the fact is Floyd couldn't do all the things he wanted to do because Manny wasn't allowing him to. And Manny, Manny had some points where he was pressuring him. He, was, he landed a couple shots, but Manny doesn't have the ability to fight at the pace and with the volume he used to. He doesn't have the snap of the explosiveness. And with a guy like him, even though he's got skills, it's a combination of that skill... And those physical attributes that really put put him put guys in the danger zone. And I really wish I could have seen Peak Floyd against Peak Manny. Maybe even the Floyd that was pretty boy Floyd, where you see uh he's a little bit more aggressive offensively. I, I really wish you could have saw that fight because it would have been a 50-50 fight. I know now Floyd can be like, Well, see, this is what would have happened 10 years ago. It's not what it would have happened 10 years ago. If Floyd Prime Floyd fought Prime Canelo, the same thing that happened to Canelo the first time. Would not happen versus Prime Canelo. Prime Canelo is a much better fighter. You got him before he really shaped into his form. I don't take any credit away from that, but that's a different fight. Um, Pacquiao from five years ago is different from Pacquiao from 10 or 11 years ago. Completely different fighters. One was a force of nature. This guy was still impressive in spots and dominant in the spots, but could no longer fight with the pace and activity and um, doggedness that he did in earlier stages. So I'd really, i really, like to see, Manny against someone like Floyd. I don't know about like Sugar Ray Leonard and all that. I I think I'd really take the Floyd fight. Prime Floyd Mayweather, Prime Manny Pacquiao. I would like to see that.
0: Good stuff. I agree. That's actually what I want to see too. Because um, just because of what we got when we finally got it, and the outcry and outrage around that, I would love to see that kind of quelled if we can go back in time and create that. Um, what else is going on in the world of Boxing Swan?
1: Uh, I wanted to talk about the Virgil Ortiz fight. Uh, mm-hmm. one recently he fought a uh, Egid Cal I can't say the name Kal- I apologize, otherwise known as the mean machine. um it was a it was a very tough fight because for once, Ortiz is a big finisher. A lot of what his thing is is he comes out, puts aggression, puts volume, and has mean intentions behind his punches so he can get finishes. he he doesn't just break guys down. He physically overwhelms them with his power and his tenacity. Against Aegis, he had a guy who wasn't going to shy away from contact. He was had a guy who was going to meet him at the point of contact and push him back and punch with him and not step out of the pocket or take a step back and allow him to get his momentum going. And early on, he stun, He got stunned. He was getting outworked. He was kind of getting controlled a little bit. And instead of just having to rely on his physicality and his strength and his power – he had to actually start boxing and creating openings, not just, not just blowing through a guy and, land, and doing his damage. He had to actually find his openings, set up his shots correctly, break his guy down before ramping it up and actually getting the finish. And that's what you wanted to see with a guy with his physical tools. A lot of guys are great when it's one-way traffic, or a lot of guys are great when they face guys who can't hurt them. Once you start facing a guy who can handle your power and handle your pace, and much worse, a guy who can actually hurt you, then you start finding out, how well a fighter's been developed, and what he has it pumping in his chest. Because it's real eager to say, I'm a warrior, I'm a beast. Pound your chest when you're knocking everybody out. It's another thing when you're on your heels and you can't scare that guy off. When you're hitting that guy with your best shots and he's firing right back at you. And that's what Aegis gave him. Um, Aegis's biggest fight previous to that had been against Terrence Crawford. So Ortiz was taking this fight to really see where he was at to really stamp his name as an elite fighter because he's facing a guy that if he is not truly elite, he's not going to beat him. It's not enough to be an elite puncher. You have to be an elite fighter. And in this fight, he showed a little bit more discipline, coming in behind his jab, bearing his jab, attacking the head and body equally, and using his jab to to manipulate Aegis so he could land power punches and eventually knock him out. It was a very impressive performance. And uh, once again, he called for Terrence Crawford. And I don't know that he's necessarily ready for Terrence Crawford. I don't know that he beats him right now. But if you put in his hand speed, his overall athleticism, and his punching power, it's hard not to say he's not a live dog against him because he's not going to crumble when he's pressured. He's not going to crumble when he gets hurt. He's not going to crumble if he has to actually work to do damage and work to win a fight. The question is in the spots that he just got him in where he had him rocked and was kind of looked like he was about to overwhelm him. Terrence Crawford usually doesn't let guys off the hook when they do that. Terrence Crawford has enough talent, enough experience, and enough skill to punish you and get you out of there when you allow allow, allow allow him to get certain positions. Aegis, as good as he is, hasn't proven to be elite or truly world-class in that instance. He's beaten everybody else, but against the best opposition, he's lost two times, once against Ortiz, once against Crawford. So if Crawford gets Ortiz in some of those spots, I don't know that Ortiz survives them. But once again, Crawford is a slow starter. And I don't know that Crawford's ever really faced a puncher, like a real puncher, uh, at this weight class. So maybe the youth, the hand speed, and the punching power is enough to make a difference. Because Crawford is a slow starter. He does have some issues with speed. And I believe Ortiz is probably the hardest hitter in the welterweight division. So maybe Ortiz gets to him early and can really make make it a, a tough fight or pull out a win. But at some point, you figure Crawford's going to figure something out or find something. And if Crawford gets him in trouble, Crawford is usually very good about getting guys out of, out of there once he's got them in trouble. And he's got a mean streak, too. When he gets you hurt, he's he's really trying to, to destroy you. He's not trying to do you any favors. He's not trying to outbox you. He's not trying to show he's a better sportsman. He's literally trying to put a chalk outline around you. He's a sadistic bastard in there. Seems like a great guy outside of it. Sadistic motherfucker in the ring. Who would you like to see him face? Uh, Ortiz yeah. or Crawford? Ortiz. Ortiz, top three I'd like to see him face. I mean, he wants the best, which I love about. It. He really, really, really wants the best. And this I'd like to see him face Crawford, because that's one of possible um, Spence, because Spence is considered the one, him and Crawford are 1A, 1B, whichever. You flip it out whatever you want. And if not one of them, I'd like to see him face uh, Jared Boots Ennis. He's another highly acclaimed elite um <clears throat> guy coming up who's super slick is a boxer, and um, I haven't seen him really tested against a guy who, A, has comparable athleticism, and B, can really crack him, can really hurt him. And I even though he's looked impressive against some decent competition, I like to see what happens when he faces a guy who hits him and he can't just roll, he can't just walk, walk through that shot or walk away from that shot. I, I want to see that. Um, it'd be young because neither one has a title and they're both up and coming, but it'd be a fight I, I would like to see stylistically. It's it's very intriguing, and if one of if one of those guys fought each other, whoever wins that fight pretty much can outright demand a title fight because that would be that would be the best um, potential contender matchup you could have outside of um, yeah, it'd be the best. I mean, they're the two youngest guys on the win streak, showing the most skills and uh, on an upward trend. That'd be the best fight you could make. I think in the welterweight division in boxing right now, outside of uh, Crawford, uh, Crawford and uh, Spence. Uh, Pacquiao.
0: Good stuff there, sir. So, um, like I said, pretty slow week for MMA. Um, so, what else are you working on, sir? Want to let the world know?
1: Um, I'm trying to do some articles that kind of have some legs to them. As I've noticed, like, but uh, when they had the Derek Lewis fight, I released, I re-released an article I did on MMA ratings about the fight. Of Derek Lewis is a elite, just because people. Derrick Lewis put in the other win streak, and people start forgetting how that win streak came about. And surprisingly, now it's because cons- even though I just is a three-year-old, four-year-old article, it, it's, cons- it's one of the top recently top uh, five articles read on MMA ratings, and that's like a four-year article. Just because it had enough legs to it, as far as the subject matter, that carried it past this point. I did another article about Lexa Grasso and her moving up the weight class, and she's on a win streak. And it kind of broke down her strengths and advantages. And that got a lot of traction. And then finally, I did another article about a journeyman, MMA journeyman. And that was like almost five years old. But it's a topic that carries over because as stars get further along their career and they either win a title and lose it, or they never win a title and they continue to fight, they get into that in-between zone where they're not popular enough to force a title fight, even if they go on a 5 fight win streak. Or they're not good enough to go on a 5 fight win streak, but they're good enough to tell you If they beat this guy, this guy isn't ready for the lead. If this guy beats them, the guy's ready for the lead. There's a lot of fighters in that spot. Unfortunately, superstar mentality, superstar appearance, Angela Hill is currently in that spot. Tisha Torres was in that spot for for a while. She's put together a win streak. So now it seems like she's being looked at as differently. But ultimately, she's right in that spot of not good enough to beat the best, good enough to beat a lot of the rest, more or less. Lauren Murphy's been in that spot the majority of her career. She's... Somewhat coming out of it because she's got a title fight, but nobody really considers Lauren Murphy elite. Nothing against her. She's a very good fighter, but nobody considers her Valentina Shevchenko-level type fighter. OSP was once considered one of the best in elite the light heavyweight division. Now he's kind of a journeyman. You throw him in with name guys. If they beat him, they take a huge step forward. They lose to him. OSP keeps his position, and that guy goes back to the drawing board. So I released a piece talking about how they they make up the sport, and they're the ones actually push this sport forward. Because the sport only has, like, 5% superstars. The rest of it is journeymen and people who just can't fight. You have stars, superstars, and then the rest of it is mostly journeymen. Journeymen are the ones who help establish the stars and determine their worth. So um, I think I'm going to start talking about some articles about fighter pay, basically how the fighters undercut themselves. They're the reasons why they can't make more money. I'm going to do one on how defense wins championships, how defense – a lot of the best fighters have always focused on defense, and uh, and that's what separated them from the other fighters. And um, this is going to be a couple other articles, but it'll be more stuff that, you know, you could read it now for UFC 264, 265, and 10 months from now it will still apply or still have some relevancy to whatever event's going on, whatever current event's going on. So I want to have stuff that kind of, you know, you don't use it for a while, you can put it three months later, and people are like, hey, you know, this is still relevant. Let me look at it again.
0: Up there, sir. Um, I'm doing more professional wrestling work. We got a we got a big week this week. A lot of stuff going on. So that's what I'll be handling. Um, oh, one but- question.
1: I saw that. Well, I don't know if you've seen that show Heels yet. I was, was hoping that you see kind of get your vibe on it.
0: I have not. But the website is covering it. I will be watching it
1: later. I'm just curious and then then I saw um I saw the documentary behind the brawl for it all in the uh, WWE. Mm-hmm. That, like that literally ruined like three or four guys' careers completely. Like just before they even had a chance to get off, just completely destroyed their careers. It's, it's amazing to me that a multi-million, billion-dollar business actually came up with such a terrible idea to jeopardize, jeopardize their own money makers. Like who does that? Why would you have a guy who's a potential star and just throw him into this anything-could-happen type situation and risk ruin? And, you know, guys, guys all set up millions of dollars. Millions yeah, exactly. of injuries they never recovered from. The, the WWE probably lost tens of millions on potential fights and ma- fights, matchups that they could have had, all because someone had some idea you know, to prove who's a real tough wrestler. It just sounds like a bad idea.
0: Bad idea, man. And, you know, it ended up that way, too.
1: And they put Bar Gun in. Was it Billy Gunn or Bar Gun? Put him in with Butterbean. I know Butterbean's considered a joke, but Butterbean was an actual boxer. You can't put a non boxer in with a real boxer of any level and think that's going to end well. Like, yeah. I I mean, like, they should be sued for that. Like, if I. I,
0: Not if you sign a contract. Like they said, they fucked around and they found out. Yeah. But we'll be back next week, everyone. Um, Thank you all for taking the time to listen to this show. Um, Join us for episode 216 next week, guys. Have a great weekend, everyone.
1: Everybody be safe.